0: All right. What's up, everybody? Roy here, and you were listening to the Balanced Mail podcast series. Uh, today's episode will be a dad talk, and in this dad talk, I have Nick Adams. Now, Nick Adams is not only the father of four children, but he's also the author of the book, Being the Dad You Wish You Had Five Big Stones for Effective Fatherhood. And in this book, Nick explores the power you have as a dad and helps fathers overcome the fears limiting beliefs that hold you back as a father welcome Nick glad to have you on
1: thank you it's great to be here with you Roy
0: yeah uh real quick where are we talking to you where where are you right now
1: I am in Northeast Tennessee it's in it's a little town called Kingsport we're right up in the corner mm-hmm. of of the eastern side of Tennessee of Tennessee
0: oh cool that's awesome yeah my uh my uh, mom's side of the family we are all from West Tennessee a little town called Rutherford.
1: Okay. I know where I know of Rutherford. I can't really say that I know where Rutherford is, but I know the name.
0: Yeah. We, uh, I think I was, I was up there visiting my mom over in August and I'm in Virginia Beach and I forgot how long that state, that state is.
1: <laughs> it goes on and on. You, you can spend eight hours in Tennessee.
0: I know. It's just, it's so funny. And it, it's funny how you go from like Northeast, which is this mountain. Just super like, you know, the smoky mountains, all that. And then you get into like flat farmland and back into the mountains. It was it's wild.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty state, but it it is a long drive from end to end.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It took me uh 14 hours maybe to get from uh from where I am to Memphis. Yeah, Yeah, that
1: sounds about right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So So you are a father and you wrote this this awesome book being the dad you wish you had. Um I thought the book was great. I enjoyed I enjoyed uh I want to start with the metaphor of the five stones. Okay. And I loved the story uh that you mentioned with the five stones with the jar. And I wondered if you could just explain that really quickly for us.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's often, I heard it first with Stephen Covey and mm-hmm. it's often kind of used in the context of time management. Yeah. And that's really the the context that I've applied it in most often.
0: Uh-oh, lost you for a sec there, Nick. We got you back.
1: Okay. Not <laughs> sure what up. happened, but yeah, it's I'm okay. glad I'm back. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so just, realize that there's there's like some big things. If you get them in place, Mm -hmm. then fatherhood is it may not be perfect, but you're going to be effective. Mm -hmm. And so the the story goes like this, that a a professor came into his classroom and he put a a big jar on the table or a big bucket on on his desk and he filled it up with big stones. Mm -hmm. And then he said to his class, is the bucket full? And they all said, yes, the bucket's full. And so then he reached under the desk and he pulled out a bucket of smaller stones and he pours all these small stones in. And of course they fill in between the big stones. And he asked his class, is the bucket full? And they're like, they kind of caught on and they're like, Well, probably not. And so then he reaches under the desk and he pulls out a you know a bag of sand and he pours sand into the bucket and until and it's to the top. And he's like, Okay, is, is the bucket full? And then they, they kind of laugh and they're like, probably not. And so he pulls out water and he pours mm-hmm. it into the bucket. And, you know, just the the picture there is if you, if you fill the bucket with water, mm-hmm. then you can't put stones in. If you fill the bucket with sand, then you can't put stones in. If you fill the bucket with gravel, then you can't put the big stones in. But if you put the big stones in first, then there's all kinds of other things that you can add to that bucket. And so in writing this book what i'm i'm not trying to tell everybody you know here's how to be the perfect dad i don't think i have that much wisdom <laughs> <laughs> but but what i'm trying to do is say here's some big things and mm-hmm. if you can figure out what you want those big things to look like then most of the rest of it is going to fit in the bucket and you're going to be okay
0: yeah it's it's like uh lay the foundation before you build the house exactly right? yep yeah I, And I love the analogy, especially for me, you know, my, my son is, is young and I feel like where I'm at in, in, in fatherhood in life is I'm constantly thinking about that foundation. What is, what do I want parenting to be like for me? What are the big things that I want, you know, my son to know things like that. And it, and I think it's, it's so important for us as, as parents, and fathers to just sort of like get the big stuff in there. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Cause, it, cause if you, there's too much in life, you can't do it all and you can't do it all, <laughs> yeah. do it all well, mm-hmm. but if you can do the important things relatively well, I think it makes a huge impact on your family, on your fatherhood, on your children.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I noticed uh it's hard to pause in, when your kids like in this toddler age that I'm in to sort of (laughs) stop and think it's like, you're kind of like drinking from a fire hose. You're kind of like going, go, go, go. We got to keep going. And, you know, I, you know, I feel like I blinked at my kids four and a half now, and it's easy to just get caught up in that and to not, to not really get to like, well, what, how do I want to be a parent? You know? And, uh, Cause a lot of us end up going back to just what we had before or things like that, not really having intentionality in what we're doing.
1: I think that is such a huge word. Intentionality is just so important because if you can figure out, you know, what do I want it to look like? You know, what do I want my children to experience? Mm -hmm. What do I want them to experience of me and of life Mm -hmm. and what, you know, then you can put some things in place that, you know, and one of the things I try to always keep saying, I'll probably drive you crazy repeating myself, but it's just, you're not ever going to get it all right. You know, you're always going to have stuff that's, that's just, you wish it was different, Mm -hmm. but if you can get those big pieces, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can be intentional about a few things, then I think it makes a world of difference.
0: Yeah. Um, And when you are thinking about starting this book was it like a lightning bolt moment or like a slow drip kind of thing you know the answer would be yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) because i didn't realize that there had been a slow drip going on yeah and then there was a moment of lightning you know and and so kind of what had happened is i've i've done a few different things in in my life i I own a couple of businesses a couple small businesses and um i've uh, founded and have been the director of a youth camp and I've been you know, just done a lot of different things. And, and one of the things in, in working with students and in working in people with people in my business, I found myself saying so often I'd be talking with somebody about an employee or a, you know a difficult situation with a student and and I just hear myself saying they were raised by wolves. And it's just there is just they just don't they don't have what they need to be a human. Like Mm -hmm. there there's not anything wrong with them, except they don't have what they need to be able to engage life in an effective way. And so they're just. It's a train wreck, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I've just over and over and over had that observation and just really longed to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. have the foundation that they didn't get as a child. And yeah. so that had just kind of been the slow drip that had probably been going on for years. That, it, you know, just it's a slow drip in the background. But then one night we were sitting at the dining room table and we, um, from time to time, we would do like conversation starters. And so we were reading out of the, it's just a box of cards with conversation starters. And uh, my son read this question that was something to the effect of, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? And that was my lightning moment. It's like there was this lightning strike. I didn't even have to think about it. The first, I mean, immediately I knew if I could change one thing, I would create effective fathers. Because if you could have effective fathers, you change the world. Mm -hmm. And so that was my lightning bolt moment. And, yeah. uh, and so then from there, I, I launched into writing this book.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, there's a, um an author that Franciscan, Franciscan monk, I believe that's what it was, Richard Rohr, and he did a lot yeah. with prison inmates. And yeah. he, he does talks a lot about the need for fathers and what he saw with when he was the chaplain for these inmates and, and just their longing for fathers. And so it's cool that you are, you know, tapping into this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is a I mean, I think in our nation, but really worldwide, it is a mm-hmm. huge need.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting because you come from a, a distant father. Am I safe to say that with like, you know, he, he wasn't present in your life. And right. so you have you have sort of that look of like, well, this is what the outlook of this is what it was like for me not having a father. And then I'm reading it as. Well, my father was present in my life until, you know, four years ago. And so it's, it's just really interesting to see how, like, I was picking up on a lot that, that you learned. And it's like, I learned it from my dad, but it's like, you learned it yourself, which is interesting, Okay, you know? um, But let's talk about the, so the stones that you had are the power of being modeling the way be lovable the foundation of self-worth and unconditional love and support. Those were the sort of the big, the big stones of fatherhood. And I really enjoyed it. I love that you put my favorite one is be lovable
2: <laughs> Okay.
0: and the foundation of self-worth. Um, Cause I think when, when you think of dads, very rarely is it like people would say like lovable, it's like distant stone, like the authoritative figure. Right. Right. You know, and just that self-worth. I thought, I thought that because that's what I got from my father. Like he was very much the type of dad that was like, you do what you want, you know, live the life that you want to live. I'm proud of you. Things like that. So it was really cool. So how did you just, I mean, was it just like you just landed on these stones or is it something that you were doing as a father?
1: I think it's a combination. I mean, when I started writing the book, Mm -hmm. um, My I have have four children and we kind of have two different families, but not really. I've got one wife and it's got a long kind of a a little gap in between the children. So I've got four children, two children who are adults and then two who at the time I was writing this book were in elementary school. And so we've got a pretty good little gap between them. And, you know, my older two um, were already in college when I started writing this book. And so part of it was. I'd already raised children to adulthood and Mm -hmm. was kind of reflecting back on what had been effective. Um, Part of it was, you know, I've done a lot of reading through the years to try to be a better father. Uh, Of course, I've worked with children, both as a youth pastor and a camp director and, you know, all kinds of ways children and working with either kids or teenagers has Mm -hmm. pretty much been my whole life. So a lot of just reflection on what worked well for kids. What, Mm -hmm. what was it when you see successful children, what were some of the pieces that, that kind of came together for them? And so those were the things that I was drawing from. But as Mm -hmm. I started writing the book, I really didn't have these five stones solid. I had chapters and I knew what I wanted to talk about in each chapter. And, and Mm -hmm. then I started putting them together in categories Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, these are the five big things that I want to focus on. And so it it was kind of it morphed as I kept writing.
0: Awesome. So you mentioned that you have four kids, um, and so you have two daughters that are they're adults now. Or I mean, they or, are. Mm-hmm. One of them you...
1: is twenty four, and the other one is twenty two.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's that's an age gap. And then you have well, not an age gap with them, but then you have the the two sons, and one of them is adopted. Correct.
1: That's correct. Our youngest son is adopted. And mm-hmm. then, uh, so they are now, uh, both of them are 12 right now. My oldest wow. son, is getting ready to be 13. But mm-hmm. when I wrote the book, they were both still in, in, uh, well, when I started with the book, the book has been a long process. Let me tell you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't like I just <laughs> threw it out there overnight, but when I first started, they were in elementary school and now they're both in middle school.
0: Wow. So you have two kids in middle school.
1: And two out of college.
0: Man, middle school was was the tough times for me. What's how's that been for you guys?
1: <laughs> you know, we I've I've laughed to myself quite a bit recently. Um, my my youngest son, my adopted son, has uh, some developmental issues, mm-hmm. and um, and I could write a whole book about the the really really funny hilarious stories of. <laughs> of his life and being Mm -hmm. his father and just, you know, there's, there's nothing quite like it, (laughs) but, um, but uh, he's just moved into sixth grade um, this year and it's been a huge change for him. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't tell you, I, I mean, probably I get a call from the school every week and I've probably been in the principal's office with him, I don't know four or five times this mm-hmm. you know in the past four months you know <laughs> so it's just like I don't know how good I'm doing at parenting this one <laughs> 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 it's a it's a true struggle but um but yeah so middle school is is fun I, I my my older son he's starting to come into that full uh, I'm a teenager mm-hmm. with with all the baggage that goes with that you know and say oh this is fun but (laughs) overall my experience has always been I just love every stage of their life Mm -hmm. like and and I'm kind of a a sentimental guy for a guy I think I'm pretty sentimental and so I always would dread you know oh gosh the kids are gonna go to school and oh my gosh, now they're in middle school and oh my gosh, now they're driving. And as they get older and older, you know, it's like, I just would always dread the things I would lose, but it has never been that way. It's always been when they get to that next stage, it's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is so much fun, you know? And like when the girls moved away to college, I was like, oh my God, you know, now the girls are gone. And, but it's never Actually, been that, and every stage is like, oh man, this is a whole new way to engage with them and to enjoy them and to try to help them navigate life. And so, middle school, you know, has been a challenge for all four of them. Yeah. But uh, but it's still it's it's super rewarding and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it, it looks like there was a big gap in between your kids, and so you're getting to like repeat like what yes, you know. Do you Absolutely. think that you've like taken from like your daughters into how you're like parenting your, your middle school boys? Was there anything like that?
1: Well, you know, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. every child is so unique and yeah. although there are things that I think, you know, I've probably incorporated mm-hmm. um, it all starts it always feels like a new journey. <laughs> you know, it's like I yeah, I've not ever had that sense of oh yeah, I've done this, I got this down. It's always like oh lord, here we go. Like now what? You know, it's just every yeah. every piece of it. it's just it, it's got its own new challenge.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh if you don't mind I you know, I'd love to to hear more about your father. Yeah, a little bit. So, tell me more about your dad. What was he like? stuff like that
1: yeah my father gosh he was such a unique person Mm -hmm. very wounded uh no no real healing of some of the wounds of his childhood Mm -hmm. uh which then manifest of course all through his life um he was a really simple man and he he had an elementary school education. He didn't go to high school. Mm -hmm. Um, he was, so he's very simple. He loved to farm. He loved the earth and the land and, you know, just good hard work. Um, and so that was a whole lot of who he was and what he did and some of the things that he passed on to me, um, I've always told people that to be uneducated, he was really a thinker. Like he was very philosophical about the things he would say and the way he would interact with the world and with life. Um. So he was really a, a, a mixed bag and, and he was a very angry person. You know, I mean, mm. uh, growing up, one of my biggest fears is that my dad would kill someone and end up in prison. Yeah. Um, because he often carried a gun and he was just angry. I mean, he was angry. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, you know, kind of the highlights of things that, that stand out to me about my dad. Now he was, um, like I say, he was a hard worker committed to, to diligence and everything he did. And he had very simple expectations of life. Like he wasn't, kind of trying to live the american dream or um pursue lots of money he took life pretty simply pretty much at face value he found pleasure where he could find it and he mm-hmm. worked hard
0: yeah that's awesome yeah you were uh you were you were in the book you talk about how he mentioned it was about fighting i think he he said don't look for the fight but if you if you can't get out of one or something like that, make sure you win it. Yeah. I, I just that yeah. that's
1: <laughs> I mean dad and one of the it's one of the things that I, I hope to make the point in this book is like when I became a father, I was I was terrified because mm-hmm. I didn't have a great role model. You know, and I'd hear people say things like Oh, you know, one of the things my dad always told me. And I would think, I don't think my dad ever told me anything. I mean, <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. I didn't have that sense of there was, you know, mom and dad uh, separated when I was 12. Uh, it was, and, and so, and a lot of my life while he was living with us, there was no connection. He was, he was very absent, even when he was there. Um, and so I just, I mean, I can remember so distinctly thinking, I just don't have values that have been given to me from my father. You know, like this is important. Or, yeah. you know, those little nuggets of wisdom that that your dad said to you over and over, or that just kind of took, like, I didn't have any of that. I was, and I've reflected over it over and over <laughs> through the years. I just don't have any of that. The only thing I can ever remember my dad saying to me, in a way of father to son advice was what you were just quoting.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: You know, I don't want you to be a fighter, mm-hmm. but if you, if you're going to, if, if you can't get out of the fight, make sure you throw the first punch and don't quit hitting until you won. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was, that was it. I mean, that is all the wisdom that my father intentionally ever gave me.
0: Yeah. And it's, then, go ahead. What were you saying?
1: I, and yet, and that's one of the things I, I hope is conveyed in the book. Is And yet, I learned so much about life by my father, who Mm -hmm. I didn't even live that close to. I mean, like, we didn't live in the same home a lot of my childhood. He was distant. And yet, he had a huge impact on my life. And that's part of what I want dads to realize is, you know, you may not be just the fount of wisdom that you're pouring out to your kids every day. And yet, they are learning from your life, and and they're learning some things. Maybe you don't want them to learn, but they're learning a whole lot of really good things. I learned like amazing things from my father, and he was, you know, not the most amazing man in the world, mm-hmm. but I really learned a lot of good life values from him.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say how much you've learned, even those distance, because it's it's like kids see everything, yeah, that we're doing did. Um, oh, yes, okay. and I mean, I, I got to witness that as a teacher for 10 years of, and I taught elementary education and just the things that they learned. Most of the things they learned from me very rarely were things that I taught, Yes, like the lessons, it was the things they saw me doing. It was my actions and it was my, it was my actions and it was my reactions.
1: Absolutely
0: those two things like how i reacted to people the other teachers the principals how i reacted to them they would learn from that good or bad <laughs> absolutely and the actions are the same thing and and i it was really it's always really cool to just whenever i had a f- former student come to me and they would say this one thing that they did um, or the one thing that I did and it was like, they learned so much. And I was just like, you saw that. I don't even remember what you're talking about, you know? Right. Right. And it's just that, that little sponge brain of them as kids. Yep. You just pick yeah, up and, on it.
1: And I think that's so, you know, just magnify that with fatherhood. Yeah. And, you know, in my situation, I didn't even, I didn't even realize what I was learning. I mm-hmm. didn't realize what I was picking up. And it would have been, I mean, I was an adult having children before Mm. I saw some of this stuff and I'm still kind of exploring going, Oh, wow. I see the world that way because that's how dad saw the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, although he and I are extremely different people, there's so much of an impact that he had on my life. And I think, you know, that's one of the ways I want to encourage fathers is you are having a huge impact on your kids Whether you're in their life every day and super present and really trying or whether you're very disengaged or maybe not even in the home, Mm -hmm. you're still having an impact.
0: Yeah. Do you think that was it hard to reconcile with that? Like, did you grow up thinking like, was there like a drive like I'm not going to be like him? And then you were able to just as you got older, see the good things about that. Instead of just like, I'm just, cause I hear a lot of times I'm determined not to be that guy. Right. 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 So let's uh, yeah. on that a little bit for us.
1: I, I think f- for the most part, I just was determined not to have certain parts of who your dad was, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause uh, in a big way, I think as I was growing up, and even as a teenager, like, I think I saw my dad as just kind of innocuous. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: he, he wasn't like a terrible, terrible guy. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I've I start the book with a story that is pretty terrible, but I don't see him as just like, I didn't see him as like this terrible, awful person more just like, ah, eh, you know, he's just there. He's, he's dad and mm-hmm. whatever. And he's, you know, he's got some issues and I want to stay away from those, but but I, it wasn't like, oh, gosh, I don't ever want to be like him because I just didn't I didn't feel like he was making enough impact on my life. that I ever had to worry about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And yet he was. It's mm-hmm. quite fascinating.
0: Yeah. Um. So what are some things that like are there things that you catch yourself doing or saying that you're like, yep, that's my dad. Has stuff like that come up?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mm-hmm. Constantly, you know, I, I think one of the things that you know I i I see my father is he always wanted to help other people. And you know I, I dad was never financially successful. Uh he always pretty much always lived on the margin financially. Mm-hmm. Um you know farmers don't make lots of money, especially not in northeast Tennessee. That's not where you nope, do big farming. Mm-hmm. And um and then he did you know, simple like mechanic jobs, he worked at a, at a bowling alley and was the, he took care of the machines in the back. And so he was a machinist and um, didn't make a lot of money there. Um, But he was always one of the first people who would give to you. You know, if you, we never passed um, a Salvation Army bell ringer, you know, that dad didn't give money. And Mm -hmm. I, I can remember being in the bowling alley and, somebody have uh you know somebody died or there's a sickness or whatever and they're gonna take up money and and dad would always put in like to me at that point as a as a young younger kid is like a lot of money. I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, like wow. And and so I saw him kind of model caring about other people. Mm-hmm. And um I think that's an important part of what's happened for me, you know, that I, I do want to Help others and take care of people, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's everything from you know adopting an orphan to working with with folks you know locally who who have financial needs. So, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of the whole of life. I look back and go, okay, I don't want to do that because I'm a nice person. I want to do mm-hmm. that because I saw that modeled, and it just seems like the way to live life. And yeah. so.
0: Mm-hmm. hundred percent like i saw that in my father as well i saw that in my grandfathers um that that act of giving was foundational yeah. to, to them on levels that you know i had i mean i, I probably i don't even understand i mean my 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 grandfather from West Tennessee on the I mean, they had a farm. You were saying that farmers from Northeast Tennessee don't make a lot. I think farmers in West Tennessee don't make a lot either. Um, yeah. But there were always there was always giving of something to people from the church, people, their neighbors. What It could be food, vegetables, Uh, whether or not a tree fell. They were the first people there to help. Absolutely. Uh, my, my other, my dad's side, he's from Ohio. I mean, my, my grandfather over there, he, he was going to, to uh, nursing homes well into his nineties just to hang out with them That's and to awesome. be present with these people. So I saw that. And then my father was the same way. I don't think we ever passed the homeless person on the street. If, if he didn't have money, he was giving him the food he was eating. I remember one time he had a, bag of checks mix and he didn't have any money he said oh, this is all i got here you go and then the guy just took his bag of checks mix and and we just drove <laughs> off and it's just like awesome seeing that i can i can resonate with what you're saying it's just this is just how this is this is how the world works we're supposed yeah, to man. do this stuff you know absolutely yeah you, you there's the sentence in here it says i am marked by my father's values you wrote that on page 39 by the way <laughs> and uh I just, that's such a powerful, powerful statement. Um, And it's powerful that you can see that through who he, who he was like through the negative or quote unquote negative, you're able to find the positive through that. And that's a powerful thing for people to hear. You know, it's like, and it's no matter, no matter how hard we try, we end up being like our parents in some form or fashion, you know?
1: Oh yeah, I've, absolutely. To me, that is one of the funniest things about being a parent is I just mm-hmm. laugh with and at my kids, you know, when, when they're doing you know. it, like, I will never say that to my, and I'm like, okay, I just hope I live long enough to hear you say, it. you know, cause you will. Yeah.
0: Man, it's, I I whistle like him and it makes me feel weird when I, when I did it the first time, you know, or, or just, it's the little stuff that I'm saying and it's like, it's coming out and it's just like the, wow, I can't, I can't stop it. My, my wife says I even walk like him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I tell my kids all the time, I mean, it's one of the things I say the most is they'll do something that either reminds me of me or reminds me of my wife. And I'm like, yeah. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yep. And like I just said that over and over. And so one day I said that to one of my daughters. They'd done something. I'm like, hey, baby, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And she's like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to roll. <laughs> <Tried> <laughs> she's like, I'm move. hoping for downhill. i like, well, don't count on it. That's all I can tell you.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's funny. Um, so you mentioned that that you adopted a child. Where did where did the inspiration for that come from? Was it like spur of the moment or has it been a part of your life that you've always wanted to do? I don't
1: know. Yeah. Before we were married, my wife and I talked, you know, of course, you have all the conversations about children in the future and what you want things to look like. And, um, you know, at that point, we talked about. It would be wonderful to get the opportunity to adopt, you know, mm-hmm. and that at some point we would maybe consider adoption. And through the years we'd done um, foster care and just different kinds of, of work with, you know, with a variety of different children. But um, but we talked about adopting before we were mm-hmm. married. Um, she had gone to work in a orphanage in mm-hmm. India and with a church and an orphanage in India uh, pretty pretty much right out of high school and spent some time over there. And uh, I had done some mission work in India from time to time. And um, so, you know, we both kind of, not kind of, we both had a heart for, for the nation of India and for the culture and the people. And so anyway, we talked about adopting and um, just never did. You know, we had that initial conversation before marriage and then, you have your first child and then you have your second child. And, you know, we'd done some foster care in between there along the way. And there just never seemed to be the space to uh, to adopt, not to mention it's not free. And so there wasn't really the finances to adopt and there wasn't the energy and the space. And then and so we just didn't. Um, and then. After we'd been married for a while and had both of the girls, and they were, you know, they were six and eight, something like that. And we kind of re engaged with the thought of, do we want to consider adopting now? And uh, we decided that it probably was just too late. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. that I'm a little bit older than she is. And um, I just felt like, you know, if I adopt at this point, adopt an, an infant, you know, mm-hmm. then I'm just going to be too old to be an effective dad. I won't be able to be the dad I want to be. And so we just kind of talked ourselves out of it and uh, moved on down the road a little bit. And uh, we had a little surprise. We <laughs> we had a baby on the way <laughs> So yeah. and when we found out that, that she was pregnant. Uh, It was right in the time that we found out she was pregnant or shortly thereafter, you know, I just said to her, we're talking again about adoption because, you know, we've got this this little boy who's got nine years between him and his closest sibling. It's like, ah, you know, hate for him to grow up alone and don't really want. And so we're like, hey, you know, maybe if. Cause we were doing all the things you do not to have children. And so we had him. And so it kind of, my, there's a great story about all that. Mm. My, my middle daughter, my, she's my youngest daughter, um, had been praying for a year for a baby brother. Ah. And I mean, it was constant. She prayed and prayed. She'd asked me and my wife, she's like, can I have a baby brother? I want a baby brother. And I'm like, and so finally, really just out of annoyance, I finally said to her one day, honey, if like mom and I don't want any more kids, like we're done, like we're not going to have any more children. If you want a baby brother, you'll have to talk to God about that. Why (laughs) in the world I ever said that? Who knows? And so (laughs) she starts praying for a baby brother, you know, anyway. So I said to my wife after he was born, I'm like, you know, if if God doesn't think I'm too old to be a dad, then maybe I'm not. Maybe we should consider adopting. And so we started down that road.
0: That's cool. And and you talk about, it was kind of tough financially. I mean, the whole process is, is challenging to say the least.
1: I would say it's grueling. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a grueling process.
0: And how long did it take before for you to like you start the process and then he's in your arms?
1: It was over a year Mm -hmm. and it's been long enough. Now it's been about nine, uh, eight years ago. And so I can't, Those Mm -hmm. dates are not going to come well for me, but it was a very long process. And part of what made it seem even longer (laughs) was we did all the initial groundwork and the home Mm -hmm. visits and the studies and just all the stuff. And then we we had this referral really quick, which they typically referrals take a long time. Mm -hmm. And so our referral was like quick. And so we thought, oh, man, this is going to be fast. This is amazing. And then nothing happened for months and months and months and months. And it was, it was a really long. And Mm -hmm. at that point, the, you know, we adopted from India. And so at that point um, the government, India was not real favorable of adoptions outside of the country Mm -hmm. and they weren't even really very favorable of adoption. And so, They just had roadblock after roadblock, and our um, paperwork ended up stuck in a um, in a bureaucrat's office who wouldn't sign it, and he he couldn't send it back because there was nothing wrong with it, but he just wouldn't sign it, and it I mean I'm talking like six months that this process went on of him just not it's just sitting there, and finally we had to appeal to a judge who sent him an order to sign the paperwork or give reasons why he wasn't going to. And it still took, it just was awful. <laughs> that that yeah. was a long, long process.
0: Man. How did your, uh, how did your kids take to the idea of adoption? Was that hard for them?
1: No, it really wasn't. Um, one, My youngest daughter prayed in my oldest son and my oldest daughter prayed in my youngest son because she really felt like she came to me in a church service one day and said, Dad, I think we're supposed to adopt. And this was before we had decided we were even open to it again. She's Mm -hmm. like, I I really feel like we're supposed to adopt. And I said, well, honey, that's great. If God said that to you, he probably means for you to adopt. (laughs) like that's probably not about me that's probably about you you know and so um but lo and behold it turned out to be about me
0: man well that's awesome
1: so, so both yes. Yeah, so both of the kids were were super and and that does not mean that it hasn't been really hard on our family because mm-hmm. um you know as i've mentioned kabir has has some special needs and some difficulties and Mm -hmm. The thing that makes it really hard is he presents really well. Like you would never look at my son and go, Oh, he's special needs. And yet um, his developmental abilities and his IQ and his functioning memory are just really, really low. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it makes his life very difficult and it makes, makes the people around his life very difficult as well. And so, Mm -hmm. Uh, although they were all very much in favor and we were all very much in favor, um, it's not been easy. You know, there's been a whole lot of humor and laughter. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite stories that every time I would go to school, they're always doing the whole, you know, well, today, beer, nah, 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 you know, they're just always mm-hmm. this. And, you know, again, I wish sometimes I wish I was a better parent, but it's just like I got so tired of hearing it. I'd just be like, oh, and and I'm not even listening because I can't fix it because he doesn't even remember what he did. By the time he leaves Mm -hmm. you to get to me, he has no idea what I'm talking about. So I,
2: yeah,
1: it's very hard to teach into that, you know, or to instruct Mm -hmm. or anyway. So this one particular day I come in and and his helper who was an Exceptionally negative young lady <laughs> starts into well today Kabir and and I was just on the verge of tending her out and she says although I try I always tried to act like oh you know oh my yeah, gosh yeah. you know <laughs> but it, in my heart I'm like oh what I mean I can't fix this anyway so this day she says so today Kabir bit the librarian on the butt <laughs> okay. I howled, I mean because <laughs> he's just at this point he's like he's in first grade and he's tiny anyway, and so I can just see this little teeny tiny kid reaching out and biting this woman's bottom. I couldn't stop laughing and so and then the other thing that I knew at this point he was biting, and so he had bitten my son on the chest and left teeth marks, I mean imprinted black and blue yeah. teeth marks and so. I can just imagine her going home to her husband with black and blue teeth marks on her butt and trying to explain that. Oh no, it's this little kid in school. I'm like, I got so tickled. I laughed and laughed about that. But so raising Kabir has had its challenges, and it, you know, it's pushed all of us. Yeah. Uh, but the kids were all very much, you know, on board with the adoption, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, it's we are a family, all of us together.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know any person who wouldn't have laughed in that situation.
1: Uh, I, I, I hope the teacher laughed. I mean, it was funny.
0: I mean, I've, I've been, I, I mean, it's, it, it's so like, I've just, I'm, I'm putting myself at like the teacher's seat. Cause I mean, I've been in play in, you know, situations like that. I haven't been bit on the butt, but
1: <laughs> you know, you
0: get, you get hit, you get touched. You, it's just, it's just interesting. It's weird. And, you know uh-huh. you, you gotta talk about it, but I mean that's funny Don't, oh. doesn't matter who you are it it's, it's pretty
1: yes. <laughs> yes, it it's really it, funny yes yes mm-hmm.
0: so is it I mean, do you think that's been the hardest thing about being a father is just you know the bringing in of another the whole adoption like that kind of thing or has there been something else
1: um you know I think that has been a huge challenge uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I think probably the that's the most, I think that's the most challenging thing we've done as a family is, Mm -hmm. um, is to adopt him and then to, you know, for, to find out that there's a lot of special needs there. And I mean, he's an amazing young man. Oh my gosh. He's funny and he's lively and he's, he's a joy. And. Mm -hmm. He asks, you know, the things that that your toddlers are doing right now, you know, of asking Mm -hmm. the same question over and over and asking questions constantly. Mm -hmm. He's 12 and does that, you know, like it never stops. And there's anyway, there's just there's so many things that are super challenging, um, Mm -hmm. but so much joy and man, have I got the opportunity to grow so yeah. much opportunity mm-hmm. for personal growth and, uh, and just to be more compassionate with, mm-hmm. with other parents and with the world, because, you know, our other three children are academically, they do great mm-hmm. socially. They do well, you know, there's just, they're pretty easy to parent
0: Yeah,
1: and, and it would be easy to, to think, oh, you know, that, gosh, man, I did a great job raising those kids. And then really to to have a, a child that's a little more challenging, that has some different requirements, and to realize how limited you are. It, it's been really, it's been good. And it's given me just the opportunity to say, pray a lot to really draw on God and his wisdom and, Mm -hmm. and to face my own limitations, you know, and, and just to be able to say, you know, my wife and I will just say to each other, like, I I can't do this anymore. Like I need this, this will be, I'm going to have to walk away. (laughs) You're going to have to do something. And, you know, sometimes that's her saying it to me. And sometimes it's me saying it to her, but it's just, it, it can be hard.
0: Yeah. And it, and it sounds like, I love that you said, it's like knowing your limits. I think a lot of us don't. I know I don't like to face my limits. I like to go past my limits. Absolutely. I like to I like to like ignore the warning signs and then go and just keep going. Yes. And every time that I've done that, that's when the damage comes and I'm having to work backwards, you know, and like it's hard. It's hard for men, I think, to do that. You know, we want to be able to do everything, fix everything. But to be in a situation like you're in, I mean, knowing your limits is, it's got to be paramount, you know, and reaching out, you know. And it sounds like you're holding on to the joy a lot, which is good, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, you know, I I say all the time, one of my favorite things in life is being bad. And I mean, it really is. I just, I get, just so much energy out yeah. of being with my kids and watching them grow and learn and develop and mm-hmm. it's it, it is one of the best things in my life and and even in the challenges it's still i love it
0: yeah that's awesome um is is there anything that sort of i don't know scares you about being a dad still
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that scares me about life, uh, <laughs> about mm-hmm. being a dad, especially, but it scares me in every area of life. And because a lot of the areas that I find myself in, I'm, I'm leading people. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I own the business or I'm leading the camp or I'm, you know, whatever it is. And I think I forget the power of my influence mm-hmm. because I know what a, I mean, I know me from the inside out and I know what a goof I am. You know, like I yeah. i don't, I, I know how limited my perspective is. Sometimes I know how I'll say something and not really mean that, but the people around me don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the scariest things for me in parenting is the impact that I will unintentionally have on my children. You know, when when they're super, I, I, I heard this when my girls were little, and I think it has been a guiding principle for my life. I've sure tried for it to be that we should respond to our kids as a reflection of their excitement because mm-hmm. you know your kids will come to you and they'll be just, oh daddy, look at this, look at this, look at this and and it's just like it's a beat up old doll that you've seen a thousand times <laughs> it's like, oh mm-hmm. but and and so what happens is I just squashed their excitement and their enthusiasm and their love for life and their love for that toy or you know or maybe it's their drawing or whatever it is and and I don't mean to like, twist their perspective of life but you know I've had yeah. a bad day and I'm tired and and really in the whole scheme of things that isn't important and so I miss the 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 excitement that they have and I dampen it instead of reflecting back to them their enthusiasm and so I that I worry about that you know how much do I do that with just I've had a bad day and my son you know whatever and I just I snap at him And it's nothing, but Mm. what he just heard is, I'm really not that important, or this thing that I love isn't that important. You know, my my, my oldest son loves to play video games. And Mm. I mean, of course, as do most teenage boys, Uh, but that's really not my thing. I'm a director of a camp. You know what I'm saying? I'm an outdoor person and I, you know, I run marathons and I like that's, that's, and so... I don't really. I mean, we try to set some parameters for how much he can game, but I I don't mind that he games. I'm I'm happy that he that he that's something he enjoys doing. He's he's good at. He gets you know pleasure out of that. That's all fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's so easy because it is so not who I am or what I enjoy, just to unintentionally have a negative vibe. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. And to leave it him does. feeling like I don't approve. And and it's not that I don't approve of what he's doing. He feels like I don't approve of him because mm-hmm. he likes that. And so I'm always trying to see those things in my life and think, gosh, how did he hear that? How did, you know, how did that feel to, and, and you know, right now, a lot right now, I'm thinking with my youngest son, how is he hearing when I keep saying to him, I'm not going to answer that question again? I've answered it 10 times. The answer hasn't changed and I just can't keep answering it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm asking myself how, what is he hearing? Is he hearing that he's not important? Is he hearing that his needs aren't going to be met? Is he like, what is like, what I'm trying to say is stop asking me that question. You already know the answer to, (laughs) but, but then I worry what is, you know, what's he hearing? So, One of my biggest fears is just the unintentional consequences of my, um, unthought through words or actions.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I, you know, I, I'm think I think about that a lot. Um, have you ever read the book, the four agreements? No, there's this book Four agreements and it's, it's this guy, uh, it's it's just four agreements for life. And one of them is be impeccable with your word. And what he means by that isn't just like being truthful. It's like what you're saying. And he he has this story of this little girl who had this full, beautiful voice, and she's singing and singing and singing and singing. And she's and her mother comes in, just had a rough day, and she just needs some quiet. And so oh instead God. of instead of saying like, "Hey, I'm glad you're singing. I need a little bit of quiet," she reacts and she yells. And then that girl never sings again.
1: Yes. You know, and, and, and that's it's exactly what I'm talking about.
0: And I think about that with my reaction to my son because I, you know, I'm doing a lot of deep dive in sort of my life, why I have the podcast and just in how I got to where I am with like people and church institutions and things like that. And so, I mean, those, that type of stuff is what keeps me up at night, you know right i try to if the biggest goal for me in in parenting is if i react to him in a little bit of time there's going to be a sort of reconnect like one yeah. one day oh my god he was he wouldn't get out of the playground when i was picking him up from school and i had a hurt shoulder and i had to get under and get him and it just aggravated it and then he was giggling cuz he didn't know cuz he was Bruh. 3 Right. and I, I i just screamed when he was in the car and no one talked but then after you know it was a, it was about after a few streets i stopped the car and i went and i talked to him and and it, it was i think my hope is that that's powerful in the right way like he sees okay no dad still cares this is what happens and and but i mean words create a reality yes you know so I,
1: roy i think you you hit it that on the, you know, just right on the head, is we're always going to do, we're going to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And although they might cause some, you know, issues or damage or whatever, it's when you can own them mm-hmm. and apologize for them, then A, I think that helps to undo whatever you did. And mm-hmm. B, I think it teaches our kids how to live life. Yeah. That people people aren't always going to do things right. You're not always going to do things right. The thing that's important Mm -hmm. is to take ownership of what you've done and do what Mm -hmm. you can to correct it. You know, one of the things I've said to my kids is, you know, if I was a perfect parent, if I did everything right, Mm -hmm. then I would do you a disservice because you would never have the opportunity to learn to forgive someone, Mm -hmm. to learn to live, because nobody else in the world is perfect. And so if I were perfect, I would be the only one. <laughs> yeah. And so I would teach you to have an expectation of life that just will never happen for you again, because mm-hmm. people are going to do things wrong. So if I'm perfect or if I'm imperfect, I'm going to mess you up. And so you can't get out of childhood without getting messed up. You know, That's just mm-hmm. a part of it. And then you have to deal with your own stuff. Uh, but to be able to acknowledge it to your kids and to take responsibility, I believe that's huge. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, you think about how many people in our lives just seemed like they were infallible. And I, I land on teachers a lot because that's what I did. And, you know, I, I used to I never hid my mistakes. I never hid anything that I wrote wrong. If I messed a kid's name up, anything like that, like I always you just had to own it because I felt that my mistakes are the bigger te- is the bigger teacher than me hiding it from them.
1: You absolutely know? i so agree with that
0: cuz cuz kids are deathly afraid of making mistakes especially around their parents <laughs> you know and, and people yep. of authority so yep. no it's great i'm glad that you shared that um what was what's been like what's been the easiest thing about parenting
1: <laughs> i think the easiest thing for me I don't I don't even know if this really answers this question but it's one of the things that just mm-hmm. when you say the easiest thing I have always been surprised how easy it is to love my kids and, mm-hmm. and maybe that sounds stupid but no I like I've I've tried to say to people like there's no one in my life that I didn't at some point make a conscious decision to love except my kids Mm-hmm. Like, I can kind of remember when I thought, oh, you know, I really love my parents, even my dad. Like, oh, I, mm-hmm. I I, really love my dad. Or and I remember when I decided, you know, hey, I I love my wife. I, this is a girl that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I, mm-hmm. I loved it. But it was I mean, sure, there's feelings and emotions and all that stuff. But there's also there was a decision to it. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to go with this. And maybe that's the best way to say it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to let this emotion keep growing. Mm -hmm. With my kids, that never happened. (laughs) As soon as I saw them, it's like, oh, my gosh, like I'm just engaged. And so one of the things I I find myself saying to my kids all the time is I will always love you. I may not always like you. Mm -hmm. I might always like the things you do but there won't ever be a moment in your life that i don't love you. i and and that just comes super easy for me. um so i, I think that's yeah. part of it.
0: yeah. i was i'm i'm always surprised at how much i care about this kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, i mean yeah. it was it was it's just it's like wow. i mean, you know, it's like you're saying with like your wife, you can you realize why you love her like yeah. and it and it, and it came on it wasn't like immediate it might have been immediate like love at first sight but there was conscious things and then it's like oh okay no I love her I love her I love her and it just kind of built but I mean I've known this kid four and a half years he can bear I mean he's just now talking and I'm surprised at my how much I care it yeah it blows me away
1: <laughs> I, absolutely. I mean, and, and so for me, that's one of the kind of fun, easy things about being a dad is I've I've never had to work on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wanna I kind of want to pivot a little bit because you run a youth camp and I do. I love that because I grew up going to a camp. I got to uh start when I was 10, go there all the way up to when I, you know, aged out and I got to be a counselor. Um, On a volunteer basis. And then I got to spend four years as like a paid person at the camp. And, um, you know, our camp, it was a church camp, it was week long, you know, you would go, and it was typical cabins, the whole nine yards, stuff like that. And I attribute that as one of the main things that has got has that kept me sane yeah, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that helped me be find my way through life as this not typical sort of kid and i don't know that i believe that there's power in camps that there's power in being outside um i was thinking about your quote in your book it said a little bit of blood means you're having fun
1: yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely
0: um <laughs> I just, I, I think, I love that there's summer camps. You know, my hope is that my kid will like them. We'll see. Um, but tell me a little bit about your camp.
1: Well, it sounds like it might be similar. I heard one of your podcasts where you were talking to, I guess, the now director of the camp yeah. that mm-hmm. you went to, and uh, and and so um, I think it might be similar in some ways to mm-hmm. that camp. We would call it a outdoor adventure camp, uh, and it is um, a Christian camp. Mm-hmm. Um, we do two different programs. We do, uh, day camps mm-hmm. for kids that are coming out of kindergarten through fifth grade. And then we do overnight week-long residential camps for middle school and high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, Pretty much, you know, all the activities that you would probably expect we do, you know, everything from paintball to rock climbing to, uh, you know, caving to archery, all, all those just kind of campy events.
0: Yeah. What What's the name of the camp? It's called Pathfinders. Pathfinders mm-hmm. Youth Camp. And did you inherited it? Did you found it? Like, were you like, I just I want to start this camp? Did you grow up going to camps?
1: It's such a weird story. Um, I had never been to a camp. I did not go to camp as a kid. Wow. I had been a youth pastor, and uh, Mm -hmm. as a youth pastor, I took my kids to a week-long camp. And Mm -hmm. what I found was that in one week at camp, they experienced as much personal growth as they did with me in a year of youth services.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. It changed their lives, uh, with perspective and just, I mean, I don't know. If I can even explain the, um mm-hmm. uh, magic of camp. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been doing it now, you know, running a camp for about 50, no, for 20 years now. And, um, and I don't know if I can explain the magic of it because Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you just bring kids together who don't know each other. Maybe, maybe haven't ever experienced a camp environment. Maybe they, and this magic happens. It's Mm -hmm. pretty phenomenal. So, um, so I'd never been to camp and then I I took my kids, my youth group kids to a camp one time. And then I, I came to a place in life where I was really evaluating, trying to make some uh, changes in life, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, you know, just kind of really doing some deep dive into life. And I had um, taken some extended time off and was spending a lot of time just by myself reading and reflecting and trying to figure out who I wanted to be and how I wanted to do life and how I wanted to engage in life and um in that process um i realized that w- what i wanted to do in life was make a difference for the next generation like that's mm-hmm. that's really what i want to do i want to empower and equip emerging generations to discover and fulfill their destiny and um after i kind of came up with that here's what i want my life to look like here's here's my Mm -hmm. thesis statement for life um then i started exploring how am i going to do that what's it going to look like what's the best way for me to make the biggest impact i can make on the next generation so that they can experience god and find direction in their life and find out who they want to be and how can i give them tools and empower them to be who they want to be and uh and so in that process, I decided that probably the most effective thing I could do would be to start a youth camp. And so um I did not inherit the youth camp. We uh, myself and two other guys just kind of had this, they they bought into my vision that this is this would be a good mm-hmm. thing to do and we'll all kind of go at it together. And um we started we started out doing just outdoor adventure programs. We take uh at risk Predominantly kids from the projects and go backpacking mm. and spend, you know, anywhere from two or three days to a week in the woods, hiking and backpacking and rock climbing. And, uh, gosh, just all the parallels to life that you experience when you're doing those kinds of things of teamwork and communication and having to have your stuff together, make sure you know what you need for the journey and just, just so many life lessons, you know, that we would explore out of that. But um, that's how we started, was doing uh, outdoor adventure things, used the Appalachian Trail and Mm -hmm. lots of different just natural local places. And um, then we started looking for land to buy and and to develop into a camp and uh, eventually bought uh, 77 acres and have been developing a youth camp.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, camps are very magical places. I know you were talking about the last interview with Steve, the you know the director of our camp. Our camp's called the Swamp. Um, yeah. It got the name because it's just near a swamp. They thought it was funny, yes. but um, there's a lot of things. Like on paper, it rarely makes sense. Yeah, to to be just get a bunch of people that barely know each other and just be in the woods for a week. And then the magic that happens when you're there—it's—it's just hard to describe. It Um, really is, and it—it's really fun. I remember just as a counselor watching how fun it is to just see these kids who like are—you know—you would quote-unquote call them indoor kids—and then just love it being outside and being away from everything. And just coming up with stuff. The biggest thing for us was just coming up with games. Like a lot of the games that we play is just games that some kid came up with 30 years ago.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And it, it's yeah. So that's cool that you have it. So is it um you so you have the summer camp and then you say you like host people as well, we, like host
1: We do we do retreats and uh, mm-hmm. various kind of events throughout the year, but most you know our focus is on the camps. We do um field trips for schools mm. and you know a lot of different things like that as well.
0: Sweet. Have you ever thought about doing like adult summer camp? You know, I've been asked to do that. It's
1: like yeah. but we've never quite taken that step.
0: <laughs> It'd be really funny to to see a bunch of adults acting like kids in that environment.
1: Oh, <laughs> a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Um so You know, one of the big things for me in in this podcast is talking about balance and talking about voicing your needs and and getting what you need as a father in order to to serve the needs of your family. So what are some things that you do that help serve you so that you can, you know, be a, a present father?
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is probably an area that I struggle with mm. maybe most. <laughs> I struggle yeah. with it a lot anyway. Um because I tend to be kind of a type A personality and I'm pretty driven and I've got my hands in a lot of different things and then I'm really committed to being a father, to being present, you know, to mm-hmm. um to engaging with my kids and and so then that doesn't leave much for me, you know. Yeah. And and looking back on life, I realized that I probably would be in a, a little bit healthier place Mm -hmm. if I had taken more time to, um, to take care of me, you know, and Mm -hmm. just the things that, that I need. And um, I'm still probably struggling with that, but I think I'm doing a little bit better (laughs) and, you know, some of the things that I had put in place early in life that were very helpful for me were just to have times that I would go and be alone and not not huge amounts of time. Like originally, I, my ideal was that, you know, once a week I would take just an hour and go just be in the woods mm-hmm. and just kind of just me, just be alone, um, walk and and then kind of once a month, I'd try to do a f- couple three or four hours, do like a Saturday morning of just me being alone. And and then once a quarter, I would try to do an overnight where I would just be me alone. And and I followed that pattern pretty well for a number of years. And then as family responsibilities and job responsibilities and, you know, running a camp and running businesses and just all the different things kept growing, it became harder and harder to do that. And really I, I lost focus on that as well. And so I think I would have been, especially for my daughters, I think I would have been a little more engaged as a father. I'd had a little more reserve Mm -hmm. If I had done better at that. And, and really I feel that same way now. I mean, with, I mean, I said, I'm doing a little better, but I don't know if I am or not (laughs) because with, you know, especially with my, with my special needs son, if I get too tired, if I get too back to back, Mm -hmm. then I just don't have the resources I need to be a good dad. I, I just don't. I'm too i'm too edgy it's too i'm too quick to respond i'm not thoughtful enough and so um I, I think that is an ongoing challenge for all of us as dads you know i i remember distinctly when uh kabir was probably uh, 3 years old mm-hmm. just had come home and he wasn't sleeping and he was crying all night and he was screaming and fretful. And, and it had been night after night, after night, after night, after night. And, and truly like we were just exhausted. And, um, and he was terrified. I mean, he was in a new country with people who didn't speak his language. I mean, he was, I, I tell him all the time. He's the bravest person I know. Um, because mm-hmm. he's been able to to move forward through some of that, but anyway, this particular night, my wife had been in there with him, and and she came in and woke me up. And she's like, "I just can't do this anymore," and so I went in, and I'm laying in the floor, the side of his crib, holding his hand through the crib, and he's screaming, and and I just all of a sudden, I'm like, I am not a safe person to be with this child right now. Like, mm-hmm. I need help. And and there was such a, uh, I don't even know the word. It just, it was so clear to me that our culture doesn't create a safe enough place. Because, you know, it's easy to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe anybody abused their child. And I can't Mm -hmm. believe, but you know what? You probably just not ever had the right circumstance because- that night, I just I thought I I could hurt this kid like not. I mean, he's making me crazy <laughs> and and I've sleep deprived for days and and I'm I mean, I just didn't have anything left. Yeah. And and so. Realizing that and, and knowing, hey, there's there's moments in your life that you've just got to step back and say,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I can't do this. You know, I I've got to have help. And and I've got to have somebody I can call, and I think, you know, to have a, a network of of friends and family and is huge. And yeah. then you've got to have enough sense to call on them.
0: I mean, you're I mean, you're saying it, man. I mean, that's important for what you're saying. Thank you again for being honest with that. I think for every dad that listens to this, to your story, and to what that is, we've all been there. There's probably not a a, a parent that would ever hear what you're saying and be like no that's crazy we've all been sleep deprived when right. our kid won't be doing X Y or Z or we've been in a situation where we're trying to teach them something and they're not listening and it just gets you to that place yeah. and it takes courage to say hey I don't got this or I need help yeah. and I think more of us and I think it's important for us as fathers to share that, uh, because we don't feel alone and it makes it more of a normal thing. Right. For us to and talk think, about that.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, for us to share it with among ourselves. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's so important, especially with your sons, mm-hmm. that you share with your sons when it's appropriate, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, at age appropriate times and moment appropriate. Just, hey, <clears> this <throat> is let me share let me tell you a story about because we want to tell the stories of all the good things we do, you know, mm-hmm. and all of our successes and all of our, you know, our sports, you know, but to, I sat down with my son recently and said, you know, he'd just kind of blown a situation and, and he was kind of embarrassed. And I said, look, let me tell you a story where I did that, you know, and and it, mm-hmm. you could just see him being like, Oh my gosh, like, because we forget how much they look up to us. Mm-hmm. And if we can kind of just step down and go, Hey, The struggle is real for all of us who are human. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's okay that you feel like you made a fool of yourself at school and you're embarrassed and, you you know, people do that. Let me tell you when I did something like that. And I I just think it was real, real helpful for our kids if we can share those moments of vulnerability.
0: Yeah, the more that we can make vulnerability a, a normal thing. Right, us as us as men and boys, guys. I mean, it makes it makes handling emotions so much so much easier, absolutely. Because um, because I think you know, for the longest time we didn't, we just stuffed it all down. I mean, as a society and as, as men, right. I mean that's what we're taught. Um, I don't know. I just I want my son to see me cry. I want my son to to you know I want to have those conversations with him because I want right. him to. I don't know, maybe not have it as tough. As I did, you yeah. know so but
1: one of the things I say to to my kids and especially to the boys is there are things worth crying over
0: mm-hmm. it's yep.
1: okay there are yeah. things worth crying about
0: yeah we 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 tell our our kid uh you know um anger's fine anger's okay yes. yep. uh crying is okay uh there's a step past that that we need to talk about that you can do but but just because you're angry doesn't mean anything like it's okay. You're disappointed that this isn't happening. I get it. You know? Yeah. So, um, so what do you think like super powerful stuff, Nick? I just wanted to say that real quick. Thank you for, you know, I've thanked you three times, but you know, it's, it's honesty is so important in this kind of, in this, um, platform, you know, long form conversations about that. So thank you for that. Um, What do you think your role is as a dad? Is it is it is it teacher, protector, guider? Is it you know a couple of things? Would you mind sharing something? It
1: it is another thing that I think is you know for me is super uh, important is to to see ourselves not just on one um, one plane. I guess you would say (laughs) one of the things I've I've tried to say. In the book, is that there's different stages of parenting, and at each stage, mm-hmm. yeah. there's something different that you should be bringing to the table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think, you know, overall, I I believe the best thing I can do as a dad mm-hmm. is maintain relationship and and to be in my kid's life because. I'm going to be able to impact and influence them mm-hmm. to the degree that I can keep relationship with them. It's, I, and I'll talk about that a little bit in that section about being a dad you can love or however yeah. I, I talk about mm-hmm. that in there because it's easy to 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 see yourself as the authoritarian or the disciplinarian or the you know whatever you however you view that. but ultimately, if I can keep relationship with my kids, If I can win and keep their hearts so that they just like me as a person, you know, one of one of the best compliments I've probably ever gotten in my life is my oldest daughter tells me repeatedly that I'm one of her best friends. Well, gosh. To me, this doesn't get much better than that, you know? Yeah. That was not my goal when she was. I can also remember when she told me, as a little kid, that she didn't like me. <laughs> but when she's small, my goal is to be her friend. But when she's an adult, my goal is to be her friend. You know, when she's young, I've got to be a disciplinarian. When she's a little bit older, you know, I've I've got.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When she's older, I'm going to be a teacher. A little bit older. I've got to be your coach, yeah. but at some point I get to be your friend. And that's kind of, you know, one of the things I lay out there in the book. But to come to that place in life and for her to, you know, say that it's like, oh, that's awesome because I want to keep that kind of relationship. You know, my, my other adult daughter, um, is working with me in the camp, you know, and, and, and she's chosen yeah. to, you know, to, to engage that and to, she's, she's the assistant director of the camp and, you know, to me to be able to maintain that kind of relationship is a huge part of what my goal is as a as a parent. Now, again, you know, when they were when they're two, three, four, my goal isn't to be their friend. My goal is to be a disciplinarian. I'm gonna you've mm-hmm. got to learn the things that are appropriate in life. And you've got to learn to respond to authority. And and if you can't learn being, when I say you know, talk about people that were raised by wolves. That's one of the things I'm thinking about. Is mm-hmm. you never learned to be under authority, and so you can't work a job because as soon as your boss tells you to go do something, you know, you flip him off and walk away. Well, you're <laughs> never going to succeed at life because no one ever taught you that there are authorities in life that they just are. <laughs> you know, and you've got to yeah. deal with that. Um, and, and so, anyway. I don't know if I answered your question. I could ramble on it. You did.
0: No, you did. You you mentioned how like our relationships as parents or who we are to our kids are going to change throughout life. Um, How I'm going to interact with my kid is going to be different four years from now than it was now. And the thing that's the most important is if you can keep the relationship threaded through the, the whole time you know, that's, that's the power right there.
2: Absolutely. Because a
0: lot of, a lot of kids, you know, they, they wanted the relationship. They wish they had a relationship. They wish that they could talk to, to their parents the way that, you know, they feel like they, you know, in a way, or they, they don't feel like they can talk to their parents and that's, that's a hard place to be. Um, And so building that relationship and continuing and, and fulfilling it. And, and a lot of what you're talking about in the book, it, it kind of is about feeding the relationship, you yes. know, cause you talk like, it's kind of like how your stones, it's like modeling the way power of being, but then it's like building, you know, you're being lovable, self-worth, unconditional love and support. That's, it's just building on that to create a great relationship with your kids. Right. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and I think that's, and I think that I wanted to talk about sort of with, with your book, what I loved about the book is it's very, like I said, at the beginning, it's very foundational, you know, and I think that's something that for me, it's powerful because I'm still in that stage, you know, right. of, of building the foundation. I even like that there, you have that chapter where you have a circle, the values, yeah. uh, it's at the end of it. Yeah. End of chapter, uh. Oh my god, I forget which oh I have it right here in like page 105. But but it's just it's just really I think it's important because a lot of times us as dads, we don't think about that. And and we need to think about what is it that we value in life, what do we want for our kids, what do we want for our family, and then just make decisions based off of that. It makes it a little bit easier.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I think when you when you are able to and, and what I hoped to be able to do in that chapter is just to invite dads to, you know, mm-hmm. to take a minute and, yeah. and try to narrow down onto what are the things that are important to me? And, you know, everything on that sheet, and there's a lot of things there, mm-hmm. they're, they're all right. important.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, they're all important, but the, the, you mm-hmm. can't do it all. And I, I think, yeah. God, for me, that's one of the best lessons in life is you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And so you you focus on the things that are the most important. Yeah. You know, and and so I think that's so valuable just to, to come down to what are the things that in every situation I'm going to try to instill, mm-hmm. whether it's with words or just actions or that I'm going to pass on as the values that that are important to me mm-hmm. and to my wife, to our family.
0: Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, any last any last words for us on this?
1: I mean, you know, I I think probably my last words would be kind of the whole theme that I hope people get out of the book, which Mm -hmm. is just keep moving forward. You know, you're you're not going to do it all right. You're not going to be perfect. And you are going to have a huge impact on your kids. And my dad blew it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And he had amazing, positive impact on my life. And, and I think that's what I want to leave with people is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you care enough to try to grow personally and you're moving in the right directions, just, just be encouraged, keep going mm-hmm. and you're going to make a difference.
0: Cool. I like it. Well, Nick, it's been a great talk. Um, glad to have you on. Oh um, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So the book is Being a Dad, You Wish You Had, Five Big Stones for Effective Fatherhood. Um, I know I found it on Amazon that's uh, as well. That is
1: there... that's, that is the best place to find it, honestly, is Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it's there uh, as a as a digital book as well as a paperback. And there's going to mm-hmm. be an audio coming out soon.
0: Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, take care, guys. Thank you all for listening. And uh, thanks for coming on, Nick. Thank you,
1: Roy. It's great to be with you.
0: Yeah, good.